Welcome to the Wealth Inequality Initiative podcast, shedding light on wealth inequality through exceptional personalities from around the world. Today, Natalie Jean-Baptiste, Senior Programme Manager, Wealth Inequality at the Julius Baer Foundation, meets Cristobal Rovira Kaltwasser, Director of the Social Science Research Institute at the Diego Portales University of Chile. Professor Kaltwasser shares his research findings on the elite, their disconnection from the majority of the population, and wealth inequality's effect on populism. Hello everyone, I'm Nathalie Jean-Baptiste. I'm Senior Program Manager at the Julius Baer Foundation, and I focused on the topic of wealth inequality at the foundation. And I'm very pleased today to talk to Cristobal Rovira Kaltwasser. Cristobal, thank you for taking this talk and uh, taking this call. Thank you very much for being here. Um, Cristobal, you are a professor of political science at uh, the Diego Portales University in Santiago de Chile, and you are also an associate researcher at the Center for Social Conflict and Cohesion Studies. Cristobal, tell me, how, how are you? Hi, uh, many thanks for the invitation uh, for this conversation. It's uh, wonderful to, to have the opportunity to exchange some ideas with different constituencies. So I'm doing quite well here in Santiago de Chile. It's a winter day here and a bit rainy, but this means that the air is going to be quite fresh afterwards, which is good for us. Mm. Yeah, well, wonderful to, to have you here, Cristobal. You, your research focuses on populism and you have done also some work on the elite in Chile. In fact, there was a recent um, interview you gave to um, Der Spiegel where you talked about the elites in Chile. I must say that that article grabbed our attention. And um, thank you for being here. And that's why we are, we are having a conversation today. Um, as an academic, you, you have covered quite a bit of ground in your career. You've spent some time in in England and in Germany, and you're back now in Chile, in rainy Chile today. So tell us, how does it feel to be back home? Well, uh, it's great in the sense that, as you mentioned, I have had the opportunity to be abroad for a long period of time to write my PhD and also my postdoc in Germany. Then I was able to be in the UK also for a couple of years, undertake research there. And because of that experience, I have a broad network of colleagues working in different countries in Europe. With many of them, I collaborate till today. So in this sense, as I said, I had a great opportunity of uh, undertaking my, my uh, professions uh, outside of Chile. And now coming back, it's also great because I can also try to better understand my own country. Because if you have been abroad for a long period of time and then you come back, you have also new ideas about how to analyze the political situation. And this is part of the type of research I'm trying to undertake. Very interesting. In the, the article or the interview rather that you gave to Spiegel, which is um, a result somehow of your findings from this, this study you did on the elite in Chile. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit more about um, what were your findings? What was this study about? Right. Well, this study was, to a certain extent, again, like a collaborative research project between different colleagues working at COES. 
And we had the idea that one of the problems that our country is experiencing is that the elite, to a certain extent, is not very aware of the problems of the normal people on the streets, so to say. To be honest, I think this is a global phenomenon. It's not only a Chilean one, but we had the feeling that in Chile that might have like certain specific characteristics. And because of that, we were able to develop a survey that was undertaken roughly to 100 people, a bit more than 100 people from the business community, a bit more than 100 people from the political elite, which means not only the parliament, but also the executive power, judiciary, local government, etc. And finally, we're able to undertake also a bit more than 100 interviews with the cultural elite. This means professors at universities, people working in the mass media, etc. And at the same time, we also undertook a survey at the, for the national population that is representative of the national population. And to that way, we are able to compare to what extent citizens have similar or different opinions that these different elites that we were able to, to, to research, so to say. So I'm sure that um, this study um, revealed a lot of, a lot of interesting facts and, and findings. And from what we read in the interview, one of them was that the elite does not really see the inequalities that exist in Chile. Can you explain a little bit more about that? What are first some of those inequalities, Cristobal? Yes, I mean, to understand that problem, maybe a short caveat, I think one of the findings is that these different elites that were able to do interview, we realized that they live a bit in a bubble. So they live in certain neighborhoods, they go to specific schools, they send their children also to specific schools. And because of that, they're not very aware of what normal Chilean citizens live every day, so to say. So and then related to your questions of inequality, this is very well connected, so to say, because if you live in a bubble, so you probably don't realize that other people have specific problems. And one of the problems that many Chileans feel is that Chilean society is extremely unequal that if you are a rich citizen, you have access to much better health, you have much better education, much better pension system. But if you are a middle-income citizen or a poor citizen, of course, you receive much less back from the society. And this is generating a lot of anger within the population. And many of the results that we find in our study point out exactly that problem, that the elite doesn't really understand this feeling of feeling left behind by many Chilean citizens because the Chilean elite thinks that the society is working perfectly and to a certain extent it works very well for them but not necessarily for the majority of the population. You mentioned a bubble, you know, that um, some of uh, the, the elite in Chile live, um, live in a bubble. Mm. Do you think that this is one of the explanation or the most important explanation for their lack of awareness? Or is there something more, Cristobal? Well, I think that, of course, this is probably the main explanation. It's not the only one. But also what we find out that is that this bubble, so to say, has been growing or getting tighter in the last few years. So, again, I think this is a global phenomenon. Elites everywhere live in specific neighborhoods and try to send their children to specific schools. 
But I think what it's new in Chile is that in a relatively short period of time, and I'm thinking about the last 20 to 30 years, this sort of bubble has been, so to say, getting tighter and a bit more connected within them, so to say. And this generates, again, a bigger detachment from that elite from the rest of the population. And I think this is one of the peculiarities, I would say, from the Chilean society in comparison, for example, with Western European societies in which, of course, inequality is a big problem, but you still have like certain members of the elite that have some connections with the population. And I think this is the case of Chile. It's, it's almost inexistent. And this is part of the problem of why Chile is experiencing a sort of crisis of the democratic system. Mm. Yes, I see. But Cristobal, there are some facts in that says that um, some studies and, and you we we've read these um, these findings that inequality appears to be falling in in Chile. And at the same time, there is a higher perception and awareness of inequalities by many, many, many people, uh, a large part of the society. So it seems to me there's a contradiction. Can you explain this contradiction? You are absolutely right about that. And for example, if you look at the so-called Gini index, which is a normal way to which we try to measure inequality, it's an index that goes from zero to one. So zero would be absolute equality and one would be absolute inequality. Chile has a relatively high Gini index. It's a bit more than, it's roughly zero five, which makes Chile one of the most unequal countries of the world. Nevertheless, if you look at that indicator, it has been declining in the last few years, which means that slowly Chile is getting a bit more equal. Nevertheless, and this is the important part of the paradox, Chilean society has been changing because of a very successful economic modernization process. I mean, Chile at the beginning of the 1990s was a very poor society, and Chile nowadays, it's a society that has a bigger middle class, that it's much more educated than before. And because of this modernization process, a big part of the population, it's getting very aware of this problem of inequality. And this is what we call the process of the politicization of inequality. We have new social movements, for example, that have been putting forward the issue of inequalities in the political agenda. And because of that, we have a new citizenry that is much more active, that is much more demanding. And it's exactly that sort of new generation that is on the street protesting that is saying we want to change the economic model so that the country starts to get more equal. But again, this is a paradox. Because of economic growth, we have a transformation of society. And this new society, so to say, is demanding a transformation of the economic system so that the Chilean malls start to get a bit more equal. And speaking of transformation, Cristobal, there is a constitution now being rewritten, isn't it, in Chile at the moment? This is a big step. Can you... It is. Yes, isn't it? And do you think that this new constitution is a step in the right direction to fight against inequality in Chile, Cristobal? Well, it's, it's a difficult question because, as you are saying, we are in the moment on rewriting this constitution. There is a constituent assembly that is working on that. 
and they should have like written the new constitution roughly by uh, next year and there is going to be a referendum about that. So in this sense it's an open-ended process and we don't know how it's going to end. Nevertheless, I remain relatively positive about that because of who are the members of this constituent assembly, which is a very nice contrast to the people that we were interviewing in terms of the elite of our country. So the elite of our country is mainly male. It's more than 80% of them are only men. It's people that go mainly to very exclusive schools. But if I compare who are the members of this constituent assembly, it's extremely diverse. 50% of them are women. Uh, we have roughly, it's uh, the average age, age is 40. And there are very different people selected that. In fact, the people that went to these elite schools, it's a bit more than 10%. So, and because it's a very diverse group of people, and also in ideological terms, to have very radical right-wingers, a lot of radical left-wingers, but also many people that are much more in the political center, so to say. And because this constituent assembly, to a certain extent, reflects the diversity of the country, I remain positive because what the country wants is to understand, to undertake gradual reforms towards a sort of social democratic model. And I think that's probably the most likely ou outcome of this new constitutional process that, as I mentioned before, will end with a referendum in which we, Chilean citizens, will have to approve or reject this new constitution. It's very interesting what you're telling us, um, in Cristobal. Um, on one side, you have a group, an elite that is, it appears, homogeneous. And on the other side, you have a new, you know, um, a new group, uh, those who are writing the constitution that that seems to be a very diverse group. It's going to be interesting to see what are the, you know, the spaces of engagement that can be created in the discussions moving forward in Chile and where everybody, if everybody finds somehow their space in 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 this country that is growing um, in i wanted to also shift a little bit our discussion on on your research on populism in europe and in latin america and i'd, I'd like you to also educate us a little bit and tell us what is populism in europe and what is populism in latin america first of all Well, uh, I have been undertaking a lot of research in comparative terms about populism in different places of the world. And one of the first issues is the definition, because populism, it's a very contested concept. And the way in which I understand populism, it's a discourse or an ideology that argues that society is divided between two groups, the pure people versus the corrupt elite and which at the same time maintains that politics is about respecting popular sovereignty. So that's the very short definition of that. Nevertheless, when you try to understand populist forces in different places of the world, you will realize that populism normally appears attached with something else. And this something else is why populism sometimes tends to be on the right-wing side or it tends to be on the left-wing side. If you think about Europe nowadays, most populist forces are what we call populist radical right forces because these are political parties or leaders that use that populist ideology, but they combine with 
right-wing ideologies, particularly on the cultural dimension, issues, for example, about immigration. These are political parties are against immigrants and combine this critique to immigrants with the populist discourse. Whereas in the case of Latin America, normally populism is much more on the left side. And this is because populist leaders and actors try to politicize inequalities through this populist jargon. And at the same time, they develop a socialist rhetoric. And because of that, then you have like these left-wing populist movements that have been relatively common in a couple of Latin American countries in the last few years. Very interesting. So um, virtually two different orientation, let's say, not two different um, movements in, in Europe and in Latin America. I, I'm wondering, um, Cristobal, does inequality plays a role in the way these these um, forces, these populist forces, are taking or shaping in both in Europe and Latin America. Well, this is it's a big question, so to say. But to try to offer a short answer, I would say yes, but and I think there are differences then if you compare Europe and Latin America. If we think for a second about Latin America, Latin America is characterized by societies that are highly unequal in comparative perspective in which you still have like big chunks of the population living in poverty. And because of that, it's very often, it depends on the countries, but in many countries you have the rise of these populist figures that try to politicize the existing levels of inequalities through this populist discourse, but also combining that with an attack to the economic elite. And because of that, you have this rise of left-wing populist leaders. In the case of Europe, the situation is a bit different because it is true that inequality is rising in, in Europe, but in comparative perspective, Western European societies are relatively equal in comparison, again, for example, to Latin America. And populist forces in Western Europe, they normally try to attack immigrants, so to say. This is the scapegoat. And this is related to inequality, but in a different way. And this is related to the feeling of certain sections of society that they are not receiving what they should receive back, so to say. And this is the feeling of inequality, which is not the same than living in poverty, for example. So the, the example that I always give, it's Switzerland, the country in which you live. Switzerland has a populist radical right party that gets roughly 30% of the vote. But you probably know that the economic system in Switzerland is working relatively well. I mean, inequality, it's not that high. Poverty, it's very low. Unemployment, it's very low. So why is it that so many people are voting for that party? And the explanation is that the case of Switzerland, but of many other Western European countries, is that you have a section of the electorate that is afraid of the process of cultural modernization. And because of that, they vote for those forces that are trying to keep the old model, so to say. And this is part of the explanation of why they're very successful in different countries across of Western Europe. Mm. I like the fact, Cristobal, and I knew this, that you would not shy away from this big question. So <laughs> thank you for, for, for that. And thank you for, for giving us um, a very clear understanding of how these forces, you know, um, are different and how they play differently in different parts of the world. But let's just go back to Latin America and in particularly um, 
in Chile. Let's just focus there a little bit. And can you tell us a little bit, in, in your opinion, does wealth inequality affect or influences level of, of populism in Chile in particular? As you know, we at the Julius Baer Foundation, we are very keen in supporting organizations that reduce wealth inequality. So, so with that, I just wanted to, to, to hear your thought on the way it affects or influences populism in the place that you are now in Chile. Well, I think that what happens in Chile in this sense might be similar to what is going on in many different places of Latin America, but even the rest of the world uh, in terms of wealth inequality. And the problem is we know that the very wealthy, it's getting much more wealthy than before. And this generates a lot of tensions. In the case of Chile, what we know, but again, this is similar for many Latin American societies, is that you have like a very reduced number of people. I'm talking in my own country about probably 100 families or probably 1,000 people that receive a, a big chunk of the GDP of the country. Uh, and the problem of that is that when you have extreme wealth inequality, this transforms into political power, which means that you have that important sections of the society want to transform the country into a certain direction, But this is not possible because you have this very small number of people, these very wealthy, they are blocking these reforms. And this goes back a bit to our conversation, for our, for example, in our study about the economic elite, we found that they are very against many of the reforms that society is demanding. And again, in the case of Chile, what society is demanding is not that they want to establish Cuba or that they want to establish North Korea or something like that. They just want to have a social democratic system similar to the welfare state in many Western European countries. And of course, Chile is not as rich as Norway or as Sweden, but it's not that far away from a country like Portugal, for example. So in this sense, probably Chile has an a level, an economic development level that allows for moving towards that sort of welfare state. But this is not possible because of this extreme wealth inequality. And this is one of the reasons why we're experiencing a lot of tensions within the political system. And again, I think this is a story specific for Chile. But again, it's very similar in many other Latin American societies. Mm, mm. So you do think that the wealth inequality um, does affect, you know, the level of populism in Chile? I think in Chile, but again, in, in many other countries. Mm. And again, my message is always, this doesn't mean that we need to get rid of the wealthy. But I think the wealthy need to understand that if they are willing to share this richness in a better sense so that societies get a bit more equal, this is very good for themselves because through that way you can generate political and economic stability, which is also good for them because this is a way in which business can prosper. But if you have these high numbers of wealth concentration, this generates way too much uh, political instability, which is not good for anyone, I would say. Mm. Now, let me pick up what you just said about, um, you know, trying to create a more equal society and um, finding the ways. Um, and I think all of us, we need to 
to um, work on towards, you know, trying to reduce the inequalities that exist um, around the world. But um, what do you hope to contribute in your work, in your research, Cristobal? Well, um, I mean, first of all, when you work in academia, you're a bit detached, so to say, from the real world. I'm also part of elite. I'm completely aware of that. So I'm speaking in English and I speak German. So and I have been abroad for a long period of time. So I'm, I'm not a normal citizen in my own country. But nevertheless, I receive a lot of public funding for undertaking the type of research that I'm doing. So one of the hopes is that through that sort of research, we are able to show some of the problems that contemporary democracies are experiencing in my own country, but also in other places. And through that way, try to generate a dialogue with empirical evidence about which are the things that are not working, which are the reforms that properly possible to do, and also try to, to generate this dialogue also between the elite and the people, so to say. Sometimes the elite is very detached of what is going on. Sometimes the normal people don't really understand complex processes. And again, through the type of research I'm trying to do, we hope to, to generate some new empirical evidence and also try to clarify some important dilemmas of contemporary societies. Well, we join you at the foundation with the idea of creating, um, you know, a dialogue, a dialogue that um, allows, you know, polarized group to sit together and to think a little bit more about how to address the different inequalities. And I think it's a it's an effort that needs to be um, done on both sides, the elite and also the the disadvantaged and um, and. We hope at the at the foundation that we can, you know, support um, these type of of initiatives and those that allow um, a better better understanding of the problems. It's been really wonderful talking to you and and having a, a little bit more insight on the the your work, your 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 study, your research, and what you found on the elite in Chile. And we also wish you much, much success for in the future and your future work. But before I leave you, I do have one last question. Cristobal, if you could have a chat with anyone in the world on wealth inequality, who would that be? <laughs> that's a, another big question. That's another big question. So... <laughs> Well, I mean, probably different people are interesting to talk at, but just out of the blue, what I always think about my own country, for example, is what I miss here, it's having someone like George Soros, for example. If you think about Hungary, but also the influence that he has had, I mean, he's a billionaire. I mean, he has a lot of money, but I think he's someone who understood that to generate political stability you need to improve civil society, you need to give funding for research so that society can prosper, so to say. And in this sense, I would love to, to have a chat with him to, to better understand his willingness to do that and probably whether he's able to, 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 to talk to other 
people that are also very rich to, to tell them, look, this is the way ahead in which we can try to help our own societies. And I would love to have someone like him in my own country, but also for other Latin American societies would be very useful, I think, and helpful. With that, we'll end this really interesting talk. Thank you, Cristobal, again for your time and your insight and um, for educating us. And um, we wish you all the very best. Thank you. Many thanks, Natalie. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Inequality Initiative podcast. What did you think of this episode? Please go to www.wealth-inequality.net to share your thoughts and comments and for more insights into the pressing issue of wealth inequality.